I I walk downstairs and all of a sudden I see Jinx and Salem. <laughs> like Chris is asleep on the couch. Nice. And Jinx, Jinx and Salem <clears throat> are both like one, Jinx is on his stomach and Salem is in between his legs. Nice. And they're all like sacked out. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. It's just vibes. Yeah. It's just vibes. Great vibes. Blanks is curled up on the couch. Cougar's on the back of the recliner. Puma is here. <laughs> I hear her. Oh my wow. gosh. Make yourself known, girly. You want to join? Okay. I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Blair. And I'm Kirsten, and we are Mediocre Mediocre Content. And I'm super excited for this explosive episode. I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah, no, that was all right. That was good. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10, necessarily. Yeah. It's kind of what I'm working with today. I'm not going to lie. No, that's good. No, that's good. I... I think that was appropriate for what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Would it have been better if I just started with like Krakatawa or something? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, what is it they do in Finding Nemo? It's Shark like, bait. Hoo-ha-ha. Ha-ha. Yes. <laughs> That's what we probably should have started. Okay. Do you want to roll it back? No, <laughs> no, it's fine. I think we got it. I think we got it. I'm really upset um, about it. We are at the end of January, moving right on into February. Um, That's rough. It's rough. It's rough <laughs> out here, you guys. It's so the rough. seasonal depression is just going full force. And um, mm-hmm. I'm ready for daylight savings time, whenever that is. You know, I'm, I don't know if this is something that they're going to actually do or not this time around. They've probably forgotten about, about it by now because it's not like in the news or whatever. But once we go back to like daylight savings time, maybe they'll rehash the whole do we need to go to the other version? I, like, you know, what I, mean? I agree. Like, we're the only ones who do it. Yeah. And now, like originally we were doing it for the farming community, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. You know, farming doesn't really need that anymore because they have technology. And but now they're making an argument that it's for like uh, economic purposes because of the stock market. And I'm just like, wait, I don't really buy that. Yeah, I've heard that argument that like because we roll back, there's like a certain benefit to like the stock market because it doesn't open like with every. I don't know. I. I'm so confused. I, I know. I didn't really fully understand <laughs> that argument, and I feel like it's still not valid. Um, yeah. But I also don't know that much about stocks, I guess, and like yeah. the stock market. Yeah, I don't know. We should do an episode on that. We should. We should. Yeah. Let's write it down. We'll okay. Write it down. Write it down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I... For us other people, I don't really think it would matter that much. It would just be, instead of, like, it being dark at four, it would be dark at five, like, normal, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like, is that what I'm thinking that right, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's so weird. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. But I I agree. I don't don't like this. (laughs) 
I don't, I don't like, like this. this. I don't like this whole like lighting situation we've got going on. <laughs> the, the lighting is not very <laughs> good. It's not very good. And we're going to need you to fix that, government. <laughs> yeah, government. <laughs> to the government right. that listens to our podcast. <laughs> they, you know what? Probably if the government do. is listening, which is fine. Um, <laughs> we I'm gonna need you. you to. I'm gonna need you to get it together. Yeah, okay? for sure. Yeah, I need you to get it together. I'm. I can't anymore. No. Yeah, I need the lighting fixed. In general, just like yeah. get it together. I uh, in all you, aspects of your life. If we're putting in requests, can you also make the lighting just a tad bit warmer? I feel like I'm a cool tone naturally, but yeah. when you put cool tone over cool tone, I just kind of look pasty and it just doesn't work okay. for my complexion. I agree. So yep. if, we're, if we're on the topic, I just want to put my two cents in. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I mean, I think... I think the sun is naturally a warm light source if we're really getting into that. Is that um, a joke about the warmth of the sun or are no. we talking about the lighting? No, the lighting oh. of the sun is actually a warm tone, oh. I would argue. You think? Oh, yeah. Okay. I would. I mean, golden hour, that's a thing. And that's, Golden hour? Yeah. Yeah, for an hour, you know? So you're saying you want golden hour 24 seven. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be perfect. Actually. Can you imagine the photos? Can you? (laughs) (laughs) And we've crossed over into Instagram, girly. Here we go. Anyway, uh, moving right along. (laughs) All right. Um, Before we get started, obviously we are not experts on anything, um, including lighting. Uh, But if you have come to the podcast to get any kind of advice, We are not the place to get that info, but we are the place to find out about things that maybe you wouldn't really come across in your normal everyday adventures on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So just do your own research, fact check us if you want, because we're open to that. And otherwise, we're going to jump into the good news, which I believe I did, but I can't remember what I did (laughs) on because it's been so long since I wrote this podcast because I... I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> so great hair flip, actually. Give me one moment um, while I overdo this. Let's see. You made me second guess myself that I did the good news, but then I was like, no, I can't because no. yeah, I did the episode. This is your episode. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ridiculous. I think I remember this. All right. So here okay. we go. The first one is how a new aviation company has developed a type of jet fuel made entirely of human sewage, which sounds disgusting because it is, but also (laughs) it's very helpful for the environment. And I'll tell you why. Am I now going to have to worry about plane farts? Because that's disgusting. It's possible. Moving right along. Uh, Chemists at the lab in Gloucestershire have turned the waste into kerosene. James Highgate, Firefly Green Fuels CEO, said, we wanted to find a really low-value feedstock that was highly abundant. And of course, poo is abundant. That's facts, right. actually. Um, independent tests by international aviation regulators found it was nearly identical to standard fossil jet fuel. Firefly's team worked with a Cranfield with Cranfield University to examine the fuel's life cycle carbon impact. It concluded that Firefly's fuel, which is the company that is making this mm. fuel out of human Ooh. species, yep. um, 
let's see. So let's see. It concluded that Firefly's fuel has a 90% lower carbon footprint than standard jet fuel. Mr. Highgate, who has been developing low carbon fuels in Gloucestershire since uh, 20 years for 20 years said, although the new fuel was chemically just like fossil based kerosene, it has no fossil carbon and it is fossil fuel free. Hmm. Of course, energy would be used in production, but when looking at the fuel's life cycle, a 90% saving is a 90% saving is mind blowing. So yes, we have to use energy, but it's much lower compared to the production of fossil fuels. He added. Is it just people? Yeah, just people. Oh, okay. Across the world, flying contributes around 2% of global carbon emissions, which contribute to climate change. Um, It is a small fraction, but growing fast. And taking carbon out of aviation is one of the hardest challenges. Electric planes are being developed with a company in Cotswolds promising hydrogen electric powered flights for dozens of passengers by 2026. But... It will be years, decades maybe, before mass air travel will be powered by completely new technology. Mm-hmm. So finding new, greener ways to make kerosene without fossil fuels has become a global gold rush. Um, so on a small farm in Gloucestershire, Mr. Highgate um, began turning rapeseed oil into biodiesel for his for cars and trucks 20 years ago. Wow. His company Green Fuels now sells equipment to turn cooking oil into biodiesel and has clients all over the world. Wow. He has started looking for ways to make green jet fuel and he tried waste oils, waste food, even agricultural scraps. They even experimented on human waste. And he teamed up with a chemist from the Imperial College in London, Dr. Sergio Lima. Together, they developed a process which transforms poo into power. <laughs> poo power. Uh, <laughs> Very cute. First, they cre- first they create what they call bio crude, which looks like thick, blacky, black and goopy, which is disgusting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so basically, they were able to create this. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not going to go through the processes because it's kind of gross. Um, and I don't want <laughs> to gross you. anyone out, really. Um, <laughs> so basically, the UK Department of Transport has awarded the team $2 million or 2 million euros, excuse mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. in research grant. Um, Mr. Highgate has done his math. Each human he calculates makes enough sewage a year to produce four to five liters of biojet fuel. That's a lot of poo. So. To fly a passenger jet from London to New York would need an annual sewage of 10,000 people. I mean, and there's so. like billions of us, so. Right. So I feel like that would be doable. Absolutely. Um, but another way, the UK's total sewage supply would meet about 5% of the country's total aviation fuel demand. Jeez. So that's not bad. Um. There's a 10% sustainable aviation fuel requirement that's legal, that's a legal mandate. And we could meet up to half of that with poo. <laughs> so yay them yay. for figuring that out. That's probably we the smelliest plant in the entire world. <laughs> I it would not be my first choice in terms of research. You know what though? I would also like to say this is at the scale of wherever they are in the United Kingdom. 
And mm -hmm. I would venture to say that if they were using maybe our sewage plants here in the States, we could far surpass any requirements or far surpass any distances given how much crap lives here. Um, so are you saying that we poop more than other people? I'm saying, saying we have more people to poo. <laughs> that no, that's that's, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. I feel like also, we have more I feel pooping like, people. I feel like you could use livestock. And that was my next suggestion. As well. Like I think that's a reasonable I, I mean, thing. what's what's special about human poo? I don't know. I yeah, I don't know. As, anyway. Uh I guess uh, I'm not going to be doing that research anytime soon, but whoever no. does want to do that research, please feel free. Okay. So this one is a little bit more of a feel good story. Okay. Um, so retired postman Rodney Holbrook must have rubbed his eyes a few times because it certainly looked like a mouse was tidying up his workbench. <gasps> oh my goodness. I saw this. It's so cute. The raditz. Stewie-like scene had played on Holbrook's mind for days after he noticed a, on several occasions that things in his garden shed were being mysteriously cleaned up overnight. Mm -hmm. Setting up a camera to catch the cleaning culprit, Hol Holbrook beheld that it was a little mouse. So the video showed that the mouse picking up corks and clothespins and other things and putting them in a small box, clearing <laughs> the workspace of the man's shed at his home and Beulah Wells Wales yeah. for the next day. So uh, 99 times out of 100, the mouse will tidy up through the night, Holbrook told BBC. It is incredible, really, that they put them all back in the box. I think it's possible that they enjoy it. I don't I don't bother to tidy up now. I leave things out of the box and they put it back in its place by the morning, he said, joking that the mouse might try to put his wife back in the box if he left her in the shed overnight. Oh my God. <laughs> as far as a motive, the only idea Holbrook has is that the objects are piled up on top of a cache of nuts and that without dirt or leaves, miscellaneous objects are the only options for the mouse. Wow. I know. Hopefully he leaves him little prizes for good jobs. I think he deserves a gold star at least. For sure. That's yeah. a great mouse. That's so I think cute. So. You should leave him some little foods too. Yeah, like. that's what I yeah. mean. That'd be perfect. Mm -hmm. Sweet little guy. Just I doing his best. So. I, I know. Have you seen the video of it? Um, I have. I have. I have seen the video of it. Yes, because it was included good. in the article. Yeah, very cute stuff, man. So cute. If y'all haven't seen the video, highly recommend looking it up. It's very worth it. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Additionally, if you want to look at other really cool things on video, though sometimes a little bit horrifying, you might be interested in looking up volcano eruptions, especially since some of them are pretty topical. Um, poor Iceland um, is dealing with that right now. But today's episode is going to be on volcanoes, how they're formed, what they spew, and what kinds of records they've broken in the past for some pretty mighty explosions. Nice. So kind of taking a little bit of a trip to like fifth grade science class is what we're dealing I'm, with. I'm down. Let's yeah. do it. So it's always good to start from the beginning um 
we're not going to a land before time, but we are going to a time as they're forming. That's where we're Some going. Some would say the beginning is a very good place to start. It is. There are very few other places. Are we start in the middle. <laughs> Hold on, I'll scroll down. <laughs> <laughs> so some mountains, which is what essentially a volcano is uh, in its simplest form, but some mountains are made of solid rock. So some examples of non-volcanic mountains are the Rocky Mountains and the Swiss Alps. But some are actually volcanoes that are vents or openings in the Earth's crust that can release ash, gases, and steam, and of course, hot liquid rock that we call lava. And this is where we start the game, the floor is lava. If you're in a car, don't play this game. If you're not in a car, the floor is lava during this whole podcast. Blair, get it together. I'm getting it together. I just saved my cat from the lava. <laughs> you did. That's fair. <laughs> so when the lava cools and hardens, it forms into the cone-shaped mountain that we think of as a volcano. And most of the world's volcanoes are found around the edges of something called a tectonic plate or plates. And they can be on land and in the ocean, which we actually kind of... Um, I mean, I don't think we really talked a lot about tectonic plates in our most recent Twitch stream, but we did talk about trenches in the ocean and things like that. Um, sometimes they're on tectonic plates or fault lines. Very fun. Correct. On land, volcanoes form when one tectonic plate moves under another, and usually a thin, heavy oceanic plate subducts or moves under a thicker continental plate. And when this happens, the ocean plate will sink into the mantle. It's kind of like this beautiful cycle of like that piece going up underneath, kind of melt because it's hot down there, kind of melting right, right, and then right. recirculating, and it's a beautiful cycle. Water trapped in the rocks in this plate gets squeezed out, causing some of the rocks to melt. The melted rock or magma at this point is lighter than the surrounding rock and will begin to rise. The magma will collect in something called a magma chamber, but this is still contained miles below the surface. So you'll never see a magma chamber just hanging out somewhere. Okay. Right. <laughs> just casual. When enough magma begins to build in this chamber, though, like, so it, I guess the best way to describe, imagine a water bottle. It's not full. It's got a little bit at the bottom and then you fill it up a little bit more and then you decide to apply pressure as well. So now you're squeezing the bottle of the bottle and it, of right. course, visually will begin to rise to the top of that bottle. That's what's happening Correct. in the magma chamber. <laughs> it's a lava okay. water bottle. So it will force its way up to the surface and erupt, causing the volcanic eruptions. Right. Right. But in the ocean, they will erupt along the cracks that are formed in the ocean floor by the spreading of the two plates called a mid-ocean ridge, which is different, obviously, than the sliding underneath the plates situation. Magma from Earth's upper mantle rises up to fill the cracks, and as lava will cool, it forms a new crust on the edge of the cracks. And these mid-ocean ridges are actually long chains of underwater volcanoes that circle the planet almost like the seam of a baseball, which is kind of scary in its own right. <laughs> it is a little. Yeah, you know? I would say. So my question is, hmm. like, you know how sometimes we have, like, 
volcanic eruptions that are not like super like some of them are like really impactful mm-hmm. and like very big and that mm-hmm. just depends on the amount of pressure right yeah i think it depends on the size of the chamber uh how long the plates have been sliding along how much pressure there is where right. it is um because as we know too some volcanoes are completely dormant for like ever it's true. some become completely dormant for their the rest of their life and some get to circle back and become active again so it just kind of depends on those scenarios and also i think whether I, I don't know how this happens and this is just a guess but also maybe that chamber gets depleted or filled in with something else so it's no longer accessible or it just moves along the chain as the plates move so now you might have a new one forming that might not be as explosive because it's not as large but it's kind of like creating a new one in the previous one instead like i don't really know sure yeah okay because i mean the earth moves so it would make sense that you know that's how volcanoes would form new ones anyway right right yeah. right right yeah, yeah yeah got it i will say okay. though the article that i looked at said that 80 to 90 percent of volcanic eruptions actually occur where the plates are moving apart as opposed to when the plates are sliding up underneath each other which i thought was interesting that is interesting but i think it's because it doesn't have like in the case of the ones sliding under each other you're waiting for that chamber to become so overburdened that it begins to explode whereas if they're uh-huh. pulling apart it's accessible like you're making a, a, a way for it to come forward you know yeah what I'm yeah 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 like yeah. the lava has a better a route. chance yeah yeah that yeah. makes sense that's just a hypothesis sure i'll ask a volcano the next time that i encounter one Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm more likely to encounter one before you. A thousand percent. (laughs) And for that, we thank you. (laughs) So what is the lava and ash made out of? So when a volcano obviously erupts, you have lava and the soot like stuff that comes out of the top is the ash portion. And this is very hot stuff, by the way. Like this is not like fireplace ash where once it's nice and cool you're like playing that no this is toxic stuff it's very hot when it falls aggressively to the ground and so it's not good for you basically don't be breathing that in Uh, volcanic ash is not the product however of a combustion reaction and like the soft fluffy material created by burning wood leaves or paper instead it's consisted of fragments of rock mineral and volcanic glass ranging in size from sand to clay like which is about two millimeters to less than 0.004 millimeters in that in diameter so you definitely don't want to be breathing in glass so it's literally just debris (laughs) it it is debris like rock debris Mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh it is hard of course then abrasive kind of corrosive and it can conduct electricity when wet so it doesn't even dissolve in water (laughs) unfortunately oh yeah isn't that great Mm -hmm. i'm like imagining (laughs) like so the volcano erupts right and then a thunderstorm moves in yes and then all of a sudden you just like have you like have rain and then all of a sudden this lightning strike happens uh-huh. and the whole volcano just, just like lights up 
first of all, that would be magnificent. Second of all, wouldn't it? Yeah. Once you sometimes, and I don't know if it's all of them because I'm sure it varies, but sometimes depending on the plume, you can actually see from what I hear lightning in the plume because of the different minerals that are heated up and interacting with each other while it's in the air are sliding across each other or coming in contact. So Mm -hmm. they will create an electrical current that looks like volcanic lightning essentially in the plume. But it's not coming from the sky. But, it's no. coming from the inside of the, well, the outside of the inside of the volcano. Correct. Because of all of the yeah. minerals clashing in a very right. heated environment. And I don't uh-huh. mean that like they're angry. I mean, they're physically hot. <laughs> they are not <laughs> arguing in the air. They are colliding violently <laughs> in an instant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. But what we've learned is volcanoes and their plumes have anger management issues and they create <laughs> lightning in the sky. <laughs> you don't want to make one of them mad. You do not. So, of course, then this ash can be spread into broader areas. That's why there's kind of, almost like um, an earthquake or a tsunami. There's always like a zone of impact right so it's not just concentrated where it happened it's usually miles and miles around depending on weather and such Mm -hmm. and the volcanic ash is formed during the actual eruption of course Um, the eruptions occur when the gases dissolved in the magma begin to expand and like we talked about that magma will then begin to rise from the chamber and then escape violently into the air um, or when water is heated by magma and then abruptly flashes into steam. So you can see that as well. It's a very quick situation because the lava is very hot. Uh, The force of the escaping, expanding gas violently shatters solid rock and shreds the magma, blasting it into the air. So in addition to the ash, you also have to be aware that there's probably lava being projected out violently. Um, I know that there's tons of videos out there as well of magma and lava just kind of oozing around, but during that initial eruption, you will have it flying violently through the air. Fun. <laughs> Once airborne, the magma will solidify into fragments of volcanic rock and glass, and wind can then blow these tiny particles tens to thousands of kilometers away from the main event site. Also crazy. Yay. <clears throat> But I think um, (laughs) I do not recommend this. I just want to be very clear. Do not do this at your own risk. But there is now and has been for a while jewelry made of lava rock and like pumice stone and things like that for a very long time. But I would not go seeking this out on your own. Um, That's very dangerous. I mean, you can seek out the jewelry, but just not sure. the actual like, <laughs> the material, material yeah. of the jewelry. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, volcanic glass. You can also find that, I think. Um, so lava itself is made up of crystals, like we said, volcanic glass and bubbles. So you've got all the gases building up because you've got all these different materials and heat. Um, it's basically like uh, an earth soup. I suppose is what you would call it. Rock soup. (laughs) Rock soup, your favorite. Hot rock soup. Hot rock soup, yes. As magma gets closer to the surface and cools, it will then crystallize minerals like olivine and form bubbles of those volcanic gases. And then when it erupts, it will kind of be a slush of these crystals, liquid and bubbles. 
The liquid freezes, and that's in air quotes, to form volcanic glass, and chemically lava is made up of the elements silicon, oxygen, aluminum, iron, magnesium, calcium, sodium, potassium, phosphorus, and titanium. However, of course, different types of lava will have different chemical compositions, and that has to do with the minerals that are in the ground with the rest of the things that are moving and exploding, of course, because in different regions, you're going to have different like crust compositions, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that's just like location based. Uh, The basics of the eruption we've kind of covered. Uh, Obviously the magma is under pressure, which is why it's erupting in the first place. There's also a lot of it kind of building up slowly and some will be kind of this explosive, aggressive outlash of stuff, which is, you know, great for photos, um, but very destructive. And then other times, you know, the lava will just kind of slowly spread instead of like this huge eruption thing. It'll just kind of ooze out of the top. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the weird, that's like yeah. the unexpected kind. <laughs> yeah, suddenly. They put up barriers, but it's yeah. also like, I'm not in immediate danger. So no. I think I'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, you can literally probably walk away from that time. Right. No, <laughs> Just exactly. gather your things and watch it slowly tug over the backyard. Um, and we'll talk about other famous um, eruptions later. But of course, you think of like Mount Vesuvius, which buried Rome. Um, The Krakatawa eruption is real. It's not just a joke. And that one was in 1883. Uh, Mount St. Helens in 1980. So lots of different kinds of eruptions. um, And they were all unique in their own way. And of course, in different parts of the world. So the other thing is when you when you're thinking about volcanoes, it's almost like when we're doing our work to try and better prepare for things like tsunamis, you're really tracking earthquakes in that scenario or like the movement of the earth. And this is similar to what a lot of scientists try to do uh, when volcanoes are coming into play, because of course we don't want another Pompeii or, you know, something like that where an entire town gets destroyed um, and they had no warning. And so the great news is, similar to earthquakes, volcanoes will sometimes provide warnings before an eruption as well, not because they're giving you a phone call to let you know, but because (laughs) the magmatic eruptions involve the rise of that magma towards the surface. So you can also feel it because they will then create detectable earthquakes in the area that can alert you, hey, something underground is moving and we know this is a volcanic site. So something tells me this might be a problem soon. It can also- Can you imagine? I know. Hey, like, <laughs> hey, Steve, this is Mount St. Helens. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I'm gonna erupt in the next three to four days. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Thanks so much. Hey, at least she called. That's right. Me and the hubs had a little bit of a spat. I'm not feeling myself lately. Yeah, <laughs> just I'm going to release... explode all yeah. over it. <laughs> just need to release this tension. Yeah. It can also deform the ground surface, of course. And since that magma is super hot, it can even cause heat flow or changes in temperature and chemistry of ground and spring waters. Super helpful if there's something around. 
And then um, steam blast eruptions can occur with little to no warning as, you know, water flashes with steam. Think of like a geyser situation, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's technically an eruption as well, uh, but obviously different. It's spewing water instead of lava in that case. It is pretty impressive, though. <clears throat> but, we did right. go, we, we've seen the um, the one at Yellowstone mm, mm-hmm. and Old Faithful, and yeah. it is wild i like, bet and people try to get up close and everything can't be doing and I'm that. like y'all are cut you can't be doing that you can't Look, be doing that even though like the heat alone will scald the crap out of you but also yeah. there's tons similar to like these kinds of like lava volcanoes those geysers have so they're also mineral rich because again it's all yeah. circulating from underground it's like you don't know sulfur. what you're right so you know you don't want to be breathing that stuff in or having that touch your bare skin like that's just bad news (laughs) yeah it smells kind of interesting too oh you guys know why aren't we using this for fuel (laughs) i you know what i don't know questions don't know so obviously the precursors then that they're looking to identify that may elicit an eruption at some point include that increase in frequency and intensity of felt earthquakes noticeable steaming or fumarolic activity so fumes and new or enlarged areas of hot ground subtle swelling of the ground surface because obviously things are getting pushed up so the terrain may even alter a bit small changes in heat flow overall and then changes in the composition or relative abundance of fumarolic gases so you might even smell it um unfortunately so the the volcano farts to let you know that it's about to explode and then it explodes. Great. However, unfortunately, the precursors do not often indicate the type or scale of an an eruption that might happen. And this is important because uh, of the next section we'll talk about with the different types of eruptions, even with the Icelandic eruption that's happening, they had no clue how aggressive it was gonna be. All they could say was, you may or may not wanna get the heck out of there. And luckily people are smart enough to like leave. Right, exactly. Um, But precursors can also continue for weeks, months, years before anything even happens. And they can also subside and never be followed by an eruption or kind of that dormancy situation where you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. Nothing happens. And then suddenly uh, Jinx just continues to change the the document that you're reading. (laughs) I'm so sorry. He's making his own edits. I apologize. With his butt, no less. His butt. (laughs) That butt is very talented. There we go. I thought so. Um... So it just kind of depends. Uh, an example of this is Italy's uh, Campi Flegrei. So I apologize if I butchered that. But that volcano has been showing signs of unrest for 60 years and has done oh nothing. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> can, can she just decide who she wants to be? <laughs> Either do it or don't. What, what did you say? Like, get off the pot or crap, you know? <laughs> Lots of poo jokes yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I don't think that was the exact word, but this is a family show, so. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a website for the United States Geological Survey that we have linked in our description, but basically what it does is it will actually detail all volcanoes currently being watched and at what level of advisory they're in. So essentially, which ones might be more likely to erupt than others. 
And it was extremely interesting to look at, you know, what kinds were highly recommended and giving, you know, like this might happen at any time, as opposed to some that have just been there forever. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the next half, we're going to talk about ones that did actually happen and their impacts and the history behind them. So stay tuned for the second half. Man, I'm glad this podcast is halfway over. Me too. I'm not sure I'm even going to make it through the second half at this rate. It's a good thing to call this mediocre content. That way the public knows what they're signing up for before they even start listening. I feel like the listener deserves a more direct warning about the true mediocrity of this podcast. Agree. Let's send them into the second half with a real disclaimer. Mediocre content is far more mediocre than you think. If you think that's what's good for you, you listen at your own risk and moderation. We, the husbands of the Mediocre Content Podcast hosts, do not recommend you listen to our wives week after week and instead suggest small regular doses of your mediocrity at any given time. We should know. We live with them. All Mediocre Content Podcast listening is at your own risk. Good luck. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk about some actual volcanoes, both recently and in our history, that have exploded violently, and uh, <laughs> what we can tell you about that. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Violence! Vi <laughs> this pod is not brought to you by violence, however. So, in Iceland, this past December, um, it was labeled December 18th, specifically in 2023. Uh, the country's most populated region began essentially showing signs that a volcano was going to erupt along the line. There was fissures or cracks in the earth. Um, they were having lots of earthquakes and um, there is a volcano there. So they were like, this is bad. And with lava fountains reaching high in the air and the glow lighting up the sky miles away in the center of the capital, Reykjavik. Reykjavik. Reykjavik, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, people were obviously concerned, uh, to say the least. The location of the fissure, which is some 2.5 miles-ish long, and it was growing very fast at the time, is not far from their main power plant area. And that was, oh, of God. course, I know, right? I it's always where there's something tragic. <laughs> but it was evacuated the month prior, so that November, because of that heightened seismic activity. And... They were still concerned, of course, but from what I understand, they actually built something around it to try and protect the plant, even if something did happen, which was kind of cool. Oh, cool. I, yeah. I don't know specifically if that's accurate or if that was just in the news, but allegedly they tried to essentially build a wall-ish structure around it. But in the initial assessment, the Monday night prior to the eruption, volcanologists had said that the eruption had occurred in one of the most worst possible locations possible which would of course pose an immediate threat to both, both the town and the power plant however mm. they decided uh they they had the chance to do this but they were going to fly over the site of the eruption and the immediate situation at that time did not appear as dire as initially feared which was fantastic um but the size of the eruption was larger so even though the overall concern of it being this huge rapid horrible explosion was kind of 
mixed. Um, it was so large and the fissure where the volcano activity was happening was so large. The lava flow was unpredictable, hard to right. say how long it was going to flow. Those were the concerns that then took hold. And this is a better be safe than sorry situation. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. Uh, so lava was flowing about two and a half kilometers north of Grendevik or 1.6 miles, according to um, Kristen John's daughter, who was the head of the volcanic activity department. And however large the eruption with the town of Grendevik evacuated, it currently poses no risk to people even today. And that was told to reporters around the area. And still authorities are cautioning people, of course, to just not get close at all, um, just because it's still expanding. There's still activity happening. So overall, just avoid it would be your best bet. Now, can do. <laughs> it's important with this information, especially with something that's happened recently, to kind of have an idea of a, a I guess the sizing index of these explosions <laughs> for volcanologists mm -hmm. because while this one wasn't crazy necessarily um there have been huge explosions and eruptions in the past that have kind of set the tone for how these eruptions are categorized and what they use is the volcanic explosion index or vei and it's on a scale of zero to eight. And as you get closer to eight, the absolute uh, destruction toll increases. <laughs> Horrifying. So for example, for example, the bottom tier, a zero, is something that is kind of a constant issue maybe, but it's nothing that's uh concerning there's no stratospheric ejection of material so no explosion uh maybe just hanging out then sure. you know the next one maybe has a daily frequency still no explosion but it's just kind of gentle right we're in a gentle sphere however the frequency matters here because if you have a constant eruption or a constant or a daily situation or, you know, a few months even, the severity only jumps to about three. It's the ones that go dormant for a very long time and kind of have the opportunity to really grow that magma chamber that we're concerned about. Mm. So if, for example, some a volcano was not active for a year or more. This is a level four cataclysmic eruption. Definite eruption, absolutely gonna be some kind of lava or explosion out the top. But that's not even it. If you go to eight, we're just jumping all the way to a volcano that's been dormant for like 10,000 years and is now this huge mega colossal and that's the actual description they use but it's considered a mega colossal substantial eruption Horrifying. i would venture to say if i had to guess this would be like a world ending yeah eruption potentially because of the amount of ash and like mm -hmm. uh toxic gases that are being admitted into the atmosphere yes 
And there are two volcanoes in the world, or I'll say two eruptions in the world that are even categorized at an eight. And that is Yellowstone and Toba, which is a Indonesian volcano. And we'll talk about that because it was dormant for a while and it had a super eruption 74,000 years ago. I would Um, like to say that Yellowstone is honestly where it lies right now mm -hmm. is like the last place you would expect. Well, not the last place, but there is a lot of like, heat and activity mm-hmm. happening there mm-hmm. um but it's not like mount st helens where it's like right. just a mountain with like volcanic activity you know it's like right. there's trees and animals and like mm-hmm. you know hot springs and all that stuff like yeah but you would, deadly wouldn't really expect it yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let's start with toba like i said uh this eruption occurred seventy four thousand years ago And with this eruption, there was 670 cubic miles of ash and rock, which was about 2,800 cubic kilometers. That's immense. I'm terrible when it comes to like distances or measurements, but that's a lot. This was the largest volcanic eruption in Earth's history, and it is thought to have been this one, of course. This volcano was on the island of Sumatra in Indonesia, and the cause was widespread devastation and a dramatic decline in global temperatures because of how much ash was in the air and kind of suffocating the sunlight. Mm-hmm. The Toba eruption is classified as a super eruption, which is the most powerful type of eruption. And they're characterized by the release of large amounts, of course, of ash, rock, and gases, and have that significant impact on the climate and surrounding environment. Um, like we talked about, the other example is Yellowstone supervolcano in Wyoming around 640,000 years ago. And this eruption. Um, or there, and also another, just to kind of point out, there was also one on Ontog Java Plateau in the Pacific Ocean, which I don't know where it is, but that was around 120,000 years ago. The Yellowstone supervolcano spewed about 240 cubic miles or 1,000 cubic kilometers of ash and rock, and it is the most famous one. Um, I I don't think if you spoke to anyone about volcanoes, they would be like, oh, yeah, Toba. But they might say, oh, yeah, Yellowstone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, it was 640,000 years ago when it erupted this to this magnitude. And it blanketed uh, the area from California to Minnesota in just complete ash. Uh, If it were to erupt again, the ash is considered to be so thick that it would collapse roofs on houses in neighboring states. Little unsettling. (laughs) Not concerning in the slightest. Um, There was also the 1815 Mount Tambora eruption. This only spewed a 160 cubic kilometer of ash or 38 cubic miles of ash and rock. And the respiratory difficulty caused by the ash in the air would unalive still more people after the eruption, unfortunately. Um, When Mount Tambora blew its lid, which is funny, in 1815, the subsequent year was called 1800 and froze to death, or the year without summer, because the ash was so thick and aggressive that it completely snuffed everything out. 
even being called the era of the little ice age <laughs> as well. And that would be extending from 1350 to 1850. And scientists have not come to a consensus on dates concerning this. NASA currently states the events were between 1550 and 1880, which would be outside of the eruption range at 1815, um, if, at least from the start is what I mean. Yeah. Um, and three distinct periods of cooling. <sighs> it's just weird. But basically, the volcanic winter created by Tambora did exacerbate the cooling trend for the following year. And, uh, you know it was considered pretty devastating all the same but i will say since yellowstone and um uh tomba is that what i called it that was yeah toba uh uh, since those were considered an eight the tambora one which still is considered to have created a mini ice age was only a level seven mount saint helens was a level only only uh, yeah, Mount St. Heavens, uh, Helens, a level five, as well as Pompeii. And you may be asking yourself, so how come we're not talking about Pompeii? That was clearly the most destructive and terrible. And we have facts that people were like solidified in pumice. And you are correct. Um, but it was not nearly as destructive in terms of global change. It was definitely yeah. destructive in terms of regional issues. Yeah. <laughs> so I will talk about that. But before that, just a couple honorable mention volcanoes. <laughs> just wanted to share. Uh, and I will butcher every single name, pretty much. So there's La Garita Caldera, which was 28 million years ago. There was the Ontog Java Plateau, which we talked about briefly, which was 120,000 years ago. Krakatawa erupted in 1883. Mount St. Helens, 1980. Shout out to my girl. Mm-hmm. El Chichon erupted in 1982, and Pinatubo, 1991, and Solfriere Hills in 1995, and apparently is still kind of active because it said 1995 to present, which is great. Okay, so it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn, which we love. Sometimes we love a slow burn, uh, burn girly. It's fine. We do. We do. Yeah. Now, uh, I did want to touch on Pompeii because I feel like you can't talk about volcanoes if you don't also include Pompeii. It's kind of sacrilegious. So we're going to. On August 24, after centuries of dormancy, Mount Vesuvius erupts into southern Italy, devastating the prosperous Roman cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum and killing thousands. Herculaneum. What a fun. Isn't that great? Fun town name. Yeah. Go ahead. The city is buried there under a thick layer of volcanic material and mud. (laughs) It was never rebuilt, of course, and largely forgotten in the course of history. But in the 18th century, they were rediscovered and excavated, because obviously now we know what happened, providing an unprecedented archaeological record of the everyday life of an ancient civilization, startlingly preserved in sudden death. So I'd also like to say this is what's interesting about things like that. So uh, I I think it was you, actually, that talked about um, bogs at one point. Was that you? Did we talk about Bogs? bogs? Yeah. I have never once talked about bogs. I feel unless like it was we related have. to something else we talked about. Maybe it was good news or something. I don't know. Possibly. But it's similar, but obviously different because uh, this is a different kind of preservation. But um, in a way, volcanoes are capable of preserving things really well. 
um, once it becomes completely solidified in pumice stone. And the great thing about bogs, if you ever want to read about bogs, maybe we should do one about bogs. Um, but that is another thing that we have found fully preserved things in, and we can actually tell the history of things that we have found. So it's just like super stinking cool, horrible for them, but super stinking cool years later to discover. <laughs> right. We could also, if you were tuned into the stream last mm, week, mm -hmm. um, was it? by the time this comes out it would be last week yeah no sure two weeks ago sure I don't know. whatever anyway um the one about the deep ocean oh yes the uh, deep you ocean. would know about the salt lakes mm -hmm. yeah the brine the lakes ocean that also mm -hmm. yes the brine lakes that also preserve things yep. very well yeah it's very creepy but very cool yes it's an archaeologist's dream to absolutely be we yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> That's all. By all means, <laughs> please continue to move at a glacial pace. You know how that you thrills, how thrills me. me. <laughs> she will forever live in my head. Um, the ancient cities thrived near the base of Mount Vesuvius, of course, at the Bay of Naples. And in the time of the early Roman Empire, 20,000 people lived in Pompeii, including their merchants, manufacturers, and farmers who exploited the rich soil of the region with numerous vineyards and orchards. Ironically, if you are near a volcano, the soil is probably mineral rich because of the continuous eruptions is what I understand. So you've got a lot yes. of the good minerals that help your crops grow. And they were just like, this is great. But little did they know, you know, a lot of nitrogen, I believe, yeah. is, yes. the, is the correct element there. Indeed. Um, of course, none of them suspected that the fertile earth was the legacy of earlier eruptions, which are guaranteed to have happened. Uh, but we don't have them documented, I don't think. And in right. the Herculaneum was a city of 5,000 and a favorite summer destination for the more rich Romans. Of course, it was named after the mythic hero, hero man, my words are getting all mishmashed, um, named for the mythic hero Hercules. And it also housed an opulent villa and grand Roman baths, which sounds cool. Um, there were yep. even gambling <laughs> apparently happening there so there was like gambling artifacts uh brothels if you're into that stuff um and of course smaller resort communities in the area it was it was the point is it was a very cute town there it's were tons like, of people that live there and <laughs> it's it eerie tragic. because it's kind of like what yellowstone is today right a little bit not right. as like happening because right. there's only towns like on the outside of the park but right. like basically these people were just going about their day you yeah. know <laughs> like i guess brothling it up whatever they do so at noon on august 24th 79 a.d this prosperity came to an immense end <laughs> when the peak of mount vesuvius completely exploded and propelled a 10 mile mushroom cloud of ash and pumice into the stratosphere maybe we should talk about the earth's atmosphere at some point we'll do a mini mediocrity on that and for the next 12 hours volcanic ash and a hail of pumice stone so it is hailing stones from up, up to three inches in diameter just pounding pompeii to the ground obviously people were a bit unnerved by the activities 
and some 2,000 people decided to just hang out in Pompeii, just hole up in the cellar and hope for the best instead of fleeing aggressively. (laughs) Wrong. Bad, bad move. Uh, The westerly wind protected the Herculaneum from the initial stage of the eruption, uh, but then a giant cloud of hot ash and gases surged down the western flank of Vesuvius, which completely engulfed the city and burned or asphyxiated anyone who was left in the city. Horrible way to die. Uh, This lethal cloud was followed by a flood of volcanic mud and rock, so essentially this massive avalanche of stuff or landslide and that covered the entire city uh people who remained in pompeii were of course um going to 100 percent die there um and by the morning of august 25 there was of course the toxic gases that would pour into the city and suffocating anyone else who was still there um flow of rock and ash would collapse in roofs and walls and just completely bury them and effectively preserve them um so scary today yeah mount vesuvius is the only active volcano on the european mainland and its last eruption was actually in 1944 its last major eruption was 1631 there i hate to be the bearer of bad moves but another eruption is expected (laughs) in the near future Bear of bad moves. Bad moves. I told bad you moves. my mouth is like deciding it's done very early on. <laughs> Bearer, Bearer of bad moves. We are now <laughs> cattle. Um, and in those moves, it could devastate 700,000 people who live in what they're now calling the death zones. <laughs> Just not a great place to hear if you live there. <laughs> Yikes. However... Um, again, just to kind of rehash the fact that as devastating as that is, um, it was only a level five on the VEI scale. So, right. Even with all of that destruction, it won't even the worst. Uh, there are still tons of volcanoes around the world. I tried to look up how many there might be. There is no definitive number. There's so many and they're actually, uh, consistently um inaccurate in my opinion because i saw lots of different numbers flying around but just know that there's a lot they vary uh greatly as we've talked about but um we'd like to hear of any that you find interesting or if you're going to be an award-winning volcanologist one day let us know or if you're a current volcanologist let us know because that sounds interesting and i'd love to know more about your job um yes but that's and all you I can have. Send us, you can send us an email if you want. I mean, you can. About volcanoes yeah. or things or whatever you want, really. <laughs> um, at Mediocre Content. Sorry, my cat butt is in my face. <laughs> mediocre Content Podcast at gmail.com. Great way or to Or you end. can follow us on Instagram or TikTok or Twitch at Mediocre Content Podcast. Um, and you can tune in to our Twitch stream every other Thursday at 3 p.m. PST, 6 p.m. EST, or 11 p.m. BST. Don't forget to rate us five stars anywhere you listen to podcasts, and we will see you next week. Bye! Bye. This has been Mediocre Content. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers! Cheers! <laughs>